0: morning church morning. guys guess what the last series in this building if you don't know we bought a building we're moving soon um, this is the, the final the last and final series in this building so first before I get into a sermon um, where's my, where's my sissy at oh sissy come on up so listen so this is her last week officially as the worship leader at Rock Church so look here's the thing you gotta say people always accuse us as a family of like oh everything's in the family all the leadership's in the family but how many know when stuff hits the fan family's the one that kind of steps up and takes charge we were put in a position years ago where we didn't have anybody to lead worship. My sister's not a musician. She's like, I'm going to do it. And she did it. And how many know she's done an amazing job for being somebody? Else? Stand up. Yeah, give her. Listen, it's not, it's not an easy job. It's just not, not just about music. It's about leading people. And people are awful sometimes. So she had to, I mean, go through that for basically zero money. I mean, it's a ton of time. So we just thank you and we honor you and thanks so much. Thank you. Love you. Um, and a cool little story about that. So Sam, if you don't know, Sam it's up here a lot. Oddly enough, he's been out of town for like a month with weddings and weird stuff, but he actually goes to church here. But anyway, we, <laughs> hired, we hired him as the worship leader. But as this transition happens, there's so much that needed to be done with this new church. And my sister has zero AV sound background. And that's literally what Sam did is he traveled the world or the country, basically, with bands that are a big deal. So he has all that experience. It's been a huge blessing to have him come on. So we're super excited. Now, everybody back up. <laughs> Let's get, I'm going to read the word. Turn to it. I'll just read it right here. So 2 Timothy 3, 14 through chapter 4, verse 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions." Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for another opportunity to hear your gospel message. May it change our hearts. Maybe we be humble. Maybe, may, may we not think that we know everything, but Father God, your word teaches and rebukes and reproves and trains us in righteousness. Help us to hear that word today. Father, we know you are here in the midst of us. We know it's all about you. You are who we are after God. It's not about man. It's not about experience. It's not about feelings, It's not about emotions. It's about Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, "May be seated." So, if you guys don't know, I'm Josiah Lorenzen. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Today, we're starting a new series, and the series is called "Rock Church Distinctives." Now, I thought it was important that moving into this transition period in our church, we're going from a gymnasium or a CrossFit gym into an actual gym that it would be important that you guys understand who we are and what makes us distinct. Now, the first thing you might be thinking is why do we need to be distinct, right? We're all one big church. We all believe in Jesus. Now, how many know that man is fallen? Man is sinful, right? Even, has anyone ever heard of priests or pastors doing bad things? The answer is yes. Yes. The answer is yes, pastors are also fallen people. Now, that means that each church, each denomination, where you get denominationalism, and listen, I want you to understand, I wish there wasn't denominations. I wish that we all united and all believed the same thing and we were all one church doing mission for God. That's unfortunately not the way it works. It's important that you guys understand what makes us distinct because how many know that liberalism, right, science, things are infiltrating people's minds, not just in the world, but in the church as well. So it's important that you know exactly who we are and how important it is that we reach our community and our city for God. Yep. Amen. So when I sat down to think what makes our church distinct, I knew my first message right away. The thing that I'm going to start with and the first message in which all other distinctions rely heavily on is is the Word. I don't know if you have a slide or not. The Word of God is where it all starts. Now, I know a lot of us think that that means the same thing for every church, but I'm going to tell you that it does not. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So, if you don't know, the historical church has some skeletons in their closet. To give a very brief history lesson, the Catholic church is the oldest Christian denomination. And goes back almost to the very start of it all. I'll start by saying that this is not a bash on Catholics. This is simply history and we will give context to why today's sermon is so important and a distinction of who we are. Early on, the church came to a conclusion that the church's leadership were the true interpreters of scripture, basically putting popes and bishops as more authoritative than the Bible. What that meant was, was the Bible itself wasn't the authority, it was the interpretation of the bishops and leaders that was the authority. You guys can see already probably how that can go away, right? How that can become a problem. This led the church to doing things that we find anti to scripture. We see in history them politicizing their faith, going to war over religion, using the scriptures to obtain power, selling indulgences to absolve people's sins, buying people out of hell, and more. The magistrates or the leadership of the church did not allow lay people, you and I, or not, not actually me, I'm not a lay person, you guys, <laughs> they didn't allow you guys to read the Bible for yourselves. So, I'm going to tell you a little story. There's a man, a, Je- a Czech religious reformer, and his name was John Huss. Now guys, I want you to listen to this story because this is, this is our roots. Without this guy, you guys don't have the gospel, John was called the morning star of the Reformation. He was a highly educated man who read the scriptures for himself and came to the conclusion that the magistrate and the church leadership were wrongly interpreting the scriptures. He condemned the church strongly for selling indulgences to get rid of people's sins. On July 6, 1415, the Catholic church burned him at the stake. He is famously remembered for loudly singing a hymn while while the flames engulfed his body in a meadow just outside the city walls of Constance. This man was murdered for reading and challenging the interpretation of Scripture. That was start of what is now known as the Reformation. In the 16th century, a monk and a theologian by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Church. And the main premise, now listen to this, the main premise of what these pieces said is this, that the Bible is the central religious authority and that humans may reach salvation only by their faith and not by their deeds. That the Bible is authority and the only way to salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ and not by what you do and what you don't do. Listen, we all know you will never earn your salvation. You will never be good enough for God. Did you hear that? We know this because a man, Martin Luther and John Huss, in the past. You know what's fascinating? I planned this whole message. This morning I'm on Twitter. Guess what today is? The the anniversary of the Reformation. It was 504 years ago that Martin Luther nailed that to to the doors of the Catholic Church. So John Calvin says this. The difference between us and the Papists, the Catholics, is that they do not think that the church can be the pillar of the truth unless she presides over the Word of God. We, on the other hand, assert that it is because she reverently subjects herself to the Word of God that the truth is preserved by her and passed on to others by her hands. We are a church, right? We subject ourselves. The word of God is over me, it's over dad, it's over our elders. The buck stops at the word of God. It is so important that we understand how important this is. You and I don't have the free gift of grace and the truth of the gospel message without Martin Luther's work. There is no person who has not fallen in need of grace. There is no pope or pastor who gets it all right. There is nothing that reigns more supreme in authority to us Christians and to rock church than Jesus and the Word of God. The problem is, we still struggle for a battle of what authority is to this day. In fact, we still battle in our own hearts, individually, about what is authority or who is authority. We read stories about this kind of stuff and think to ourselves, that seems obvious. Clearly the Catholics were wrong. We would never do something like that. I'm going to challenge that a little bit today. In every one of us, and in you and in I, there's still a battle for authority. That's why it's so important that you hold on to doctrine because your actions will often be different than what you say you believe. Now I'm going to go through a few things that have that fight for authority in our lives over the word of God. The first one is this feelings. I talk about this one a lot. Feelings often have authority over the word of God in our individual lives. It's almost every week that our feelings drive us to make them authority rather than the Word of God. We were talking about our relationships uh, with our spouses and men of valor last week. Many of us talked about how easily we become irritated or how easily we lose patience with our wives. How quickly we become irrational, angry, and impatient when we don't get our way. In those moments, whether you realize it or not, you are bending to the lie that your feelings are authority. That I feel a certain way, so it must be reality. Keith, last week, talked about 1 Corinthians and all that love is. We know that love doesn't insist on its own way. Guys, love doesn't insist on its own way. How many in here catch themselves frequently insisting on their own way in relationships? Then everyone's hand went up at the same time. (laughs) Has anyone ever not been invited to a party? Has anyone really had their feelings hurt by someone unintentionally? Has anyone made that person pay for it? Because how would dare you leave me out? It gives us feelings of anger, sadness, but it's not reality, right? We know that people are fallen. We know that people are going to hurt our feelings because we're also fallen and are going to hurt people's feelings. But how often do we give in to our emotions and feelings and make them authority as opposed to the word of God? The answer is a lot. And listen, I'm not just picking on you guys. I literally was nicknamed Sensitive Sia like 10 years ago. <laughs> if you know me, you know this is true. So often someone will leave me out and I'll be like, how dare you, evil person. I should be the center of your world. <laughs> but guys, listen, we have to come back to the fact that, right, the word of God is our authority. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not insist on its own way, Right. So listen, you can be pointing your finger at the Catholics and everything, but this is a battle in every human's heart. Yes. We can say with our mouth that the word of God is our, our authority, but with our lives we do something different. What I believe is over time, through transformation and sanctification and walking with Jesus, we become more and more like he wants us to be. Yes. So the second thing that I was feelings. the second thing is this, that we put as authority over the word of God is idols. The things that take our hearts and capture our imaginations. A very practical example of this in my own life, and if you know me, this is also obvious, is golf. Let me show you how this quickly becomes authority in my life. Golf can be very expensive. Golf can be very time-consuming. The Word of God says I should be a steward of my finances. I know in the Word of God that family should become before any, everything except God. Right? How I use my time and my resources, what am I making authority? I see so many people have hobbies, right? Or even women, they have family, whatever it is, it becomes the main thing that is ultimate authority. We have to stop frequently in our lives and ask, is this okay with the Bible? Because it's my authority. It's where the buck stops. The third thing science. It's very common in our culture to hear atheists or natural humanists to say that if science can't prove it, then it doesn't exist. We've come to worship a system, and we let it set our worldview. Let me ask you a few questions that science will never itself answer. Can and does science provide a system of morality for us humans to live by? Most all people will believe in good and evil, yet evolutionary theories would say that the most valuable are those who have survived and thrived. If that's true, why would we not eradicate those with mental retardation? What's sad is we've actually already started to do that through abortion. As Christians, we believe that science reveals God in his world, but it does not tell us the most important things. It doesn't tell us how to love, how to behave, what gives us meaning, what gives us morality. What does God's word tell us about someone, someone with mental retardation? It tells us that every single one of us have the image of God on us. That the thing that gives us value is that we're created in his image. It's not how good or how smart we are. That's very different. That is anti-science. That's not how science works. You understand that? So listen, as a Christian, you are not anti-science. You just know it has its limitations. It will never define good and evil for you. It will never give your life meaning. It will never tell you where you're going. You know, there's four things that RZIM always said. The four biggest questions in life, science cannot answer any of them. It's meaning, morality, destiny, and creation. Evolution, you understand, does not answer the question of creation. The Big Bang Theory does not answer the question of creation. We know there was a beginning is what we know. If God did it through a Big Bang, great. That does not answer the question of how those little gases or whatever got here in the first place. Sorry, random rant. The fourth thing that we put, as an, or as we put authority over the Word of God is reason, our own reason. We often make our reason our authority in our lives. For a believer, we believe in Jesus Christ through faith. He did a work on our hearts, and the evidence of that faith, faith is that we subject our very own reason to his authority. Understanding our current state is important. Sin has impaired everything about our lives, including our intellect and our reason. We think we're really smart, and we often think we know more than God. But can I ask you a question? How often has your own reason led you to pain, hurt, drama, and chaos? And everyone's hands went up again. What's amazing about our faith is the longer you're in it and the more you learn from your own stupid ways, the more you wish you would have listened to God's word instead of your own reason. Now, dad years ago prophetically built this church and he called it the rock now here's what scripture says this is this is Jesus talking everyone and this is talking about the word the word everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall Because it had not been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Guys, we have to be people. When I say the rock church is built on the word as its foundation, built on the rock solid foundation of the word, I'm talking about you. I'm I'm leading the way, but it's you guys that have to be built on this. The world needs it. I wish I could tell you that every church makes this important. It's not true. It's not true. So, now you've probably heard the word, and you've probably heard me say it. We are a part of a larger church network called Confluence, which Confluence is a part of a larger church network called New Frontiers. Now, if people were to ask you, what kind of church are you? The question is, and I don't like labels and titles, but this is the most accurate. It will make the most sense. We are a reformed charismatic church. Now, when you hear the word reformed, there are so many connotations that go with that. What does that actually mean? Now, what did I say earlier? That Martin Luther, when he nailed his things, the two things that define a reformed church is this, the authority of scripture above everything else. And that salvation is through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by your own works. That's what it means to be reformed. Okay, now, you're like, okay, well, aren't all churches reformed? Aren't, like, Pentecostal churches reformed? No, because we don't put experience, we don't put things like speaking in tongues and, and Holy Ghost experiences above the Word of God. It's not what defines a good church service for us. If you come in here and feel awful one day, Really monotone and just sitting there and whatever, but you got the gospel in your heart, that does so much more than you up here going crazy and shaking for Jesus. The Word of God has supreme authority over us as a church, and that's what makes us Reformed. Now, a little thing that came out of the Reformation, there's called five solas. The one I'm gonna talk about today, the word being authority, is one called sola scriptura. It means this by scripture alone. Now, there's three things that a guy named Martin Ford came up with that really break down and help us understand what this doctrine actually means. And this is a doctrine our church stands on, and I want you to know it. Number one is sola scriptura meant that scripture alone was the supreme authority over the church. This means that neither me nor dad nor any elder nor anyone or anything else has primary authority over you. It doesn't mean that we don't use reason and logic, but it means that scripture is where the buck stops. It is authority over every decision we make. Nothing we do is to be done without first asking the question, what does the word say? Number two, sola scripture means scripture is sufficient. There have been many churches throughout history that that thought the scriptures needed supplemented with other things such as traditions, icons, experiences. We believe the scriptures alone are sufficient to tell us what we need for salvation. John 20, 30, 31 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The third thing that sola Scripture says is this, soul of Scripture, Scripture is clear, clarity. We believe that the Scriptures are sufficiently clear for anyone to read, anyone to read and understand the way to salvation. This doesn't mean that it's perfectly clear on every issue, but it's perfectly clear on the ultimate things, the things that matter most and the things that are eternal. There's a common argument I hear a lot. Well, that's just your interpretation. Or everyone has their own interpretation. Let's look at the scripture. Guys, that, let me just say, that's not true. That is a common thing that most people that say that, oh, that's just your interpretation, are wanting to believe in something that's anti-scriptural. That's what I found. You hear things in in modern day, things about to the scriptures that a guy and a guy can get married. It's just not there. I know your feelings. I know some of us may have loved ones that are same-sex attracted and whatever. I understand that. It's a miserable, fallen world. But I don't get to put my feelings and read into scripture what's not there. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was the beginning with God. And later in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This word is a literal representation of Jesus Christ himself from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus in his word is our authority. My job as a pastor pastor, is to get people to the word of God. To help Christians crave his word and abide in it. By doing so, you are abiding in the very person of Jesus. When I get up here every week, I don't pray that I would get my opinion across to you guys. I pray that I would properly interpret and preach his word. As it's the power to salvation for all of us. Now, let's get into our scripture a little bit. So, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15 says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue in the... So stop right there, sorry. So here we clearly see that the scriptures give us the information we need for salvation. The scriptures teach us that faith in Jesus Christ is how one is saved. Not by works, not by following all the rules, not by anything other than Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing. When you see salvation, a lot of our minds in the West means this. Oh, the scripture tells us how to raise our hands one Sunday and say, I accept Jesus and then I'm saved and I'm good. That is not the way of salvation. Salvation is a process over time. You are saved and being saved is a term I I, I like to use. You have not arrived... Everyone, everyone get that? You are saved and being saved. The gospel, guys, it continues to grow the longer we're with Jesus. It doesn't shrink. We never outgrow the need to hear it. Every week, I don't care if you walk with Jesus for 50 years, you need to be in the church hearing the gospel preached to you just like anyone else does. Now verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says there's three things, three or four things here that it says the word of God is good for. Number one is this, teaching. The word of God teaches us things. It teaches us how to live and how to be. It teaches us the way to God. It teaches us how to obtain real everlasting joy and happiness. It teaches us the way to salvation. It teaches about good and evil. It defines good and evil. Too many of us don't realize the gift we have right in front of us. Too many of us are so self-sufficient that we don't ever pick this thing up. We don't think we need it. We think that we can go to the church on Sundays and that's enough. Do you realize if you never are in the word of God, here's the reality of it. You don't have the faith that you may say you have. You don't love Jesus like you say you love Jesus if you're spending no time with him. And all of a sudden it gets really quiet. Guys, that's the reality of our our, our state. That's where we are. And listen, I'm not here to condemn you and say you're going to hell. I'm saying you need to be real with God about where you're at. Don't be preaching, I love you, I love you, oh God, oh God, and spend no time with him you need to start asking God, God, I need to be in love with you because guess what, I'm not. I'm in love with the things of the world. What captures my imagination? What captures my heart? Because it's not you, it's other things. The second thing the scriptures do is it reproofs and it corrects. The word there and the word of God corrects. Listen, if you're not picking this up and saying to yourself, I need to be corrected. This needs to show me my heart. The Bible needs to read me. If you're not picking up with that attitude, you're not getting from it what you could get from it. What we don't do is pick it up and be like, oh man, where can I find the good stuff? What's going to pump me up? Sometimes you need to be torn down to get with Jesus. That's really hard, but that's really true. The third thing, so reproofs and corrects, the third thing is it's training in righteousness. Righteousness. You know, I was spending some time um, recently listening to a podcast of a pastor who had dealt with porn, and he was talking about how for years he battled pornography. And at first it didn't bother him, and then as he went on with his relationship with God, he started to convict him more and more and more and more. And many men in this room have dealt with pornography. It is so prevalent in our culture. Here's the thing, though. Training in righteousness. You don't try to get pure to be pure, You try to get pure because that's where Jesus is. That's super motivating for me. To not look at porn, to make the decision to say no when you have temptation, which temptation will come for every one of us. That's not the goal to check off a box and be like, whew, I did what I was supposed to do. The goal is that's where you'll meet Jesus. That's where depth, right? In, In connection, in intimacy with Christ lies. There's a promise there that a lot of us haven't tasted yet. When we start saying no to the world and yes to him, you may not feel it immediately, but there's a place you will get to in relationship with Christ that, that is significantly more beneficial, significantly more satisfying than anything that porn can offer. That's the promise. At the end of 17, he says that, man, or that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We were talking in Men of Valor this week. About how a lot of men, you know, we have identity, we want to be leaders, we want to do great things. You know, we go through life and sometimes God stops things. Your identity was wrapped up in this and now it needs to go over here and be in something else. What if we started to decide that God planned out good works for us beforehand for us to walk in? That he promised he'd complete us. That he has things he's waiting for us to do for him. That mean way more than anything this world has to offer. And by training in righteousness and being reproved and corrected in him molding and shaping us is how we walk in those things. So let's go to chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, if you know, you have to read context in the scripture. He's talking to Timothy here. Timothy is a bishop of the church, a pastor of the church, Paul's companion. This scripture, to me, I read that and that is a charge, he says. I charge you to reprove, correct, To discipline, guys. My job as a pastor, I'm not obeying the word of God if I'm not doing those things right there. And some of you hate me for it. There's people in this room that I've had to do it, and you can't stand it. If you're not following the word of God, and I come tell you, hey, that's this isn't right. This isn't the word of God. Remember, my job literally is that. Your job is this. You read that, and here's your approach. Okay, I need to submit to what the word of God is saying. I need to submit to my pastors. Listen. Here's what I'll tell you. Anything I ever correct you on or ever rebuke on or dad or anyone else, the first thing you should do is take it humbly. And the second thing you should do is make sure it lines up with Scripture. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. If it doesn't, don't listen to a word I say. But if it does, you better, because submitting to me is like submitting to Jesus if it's what Scripture says. So, let's go to verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming, this is where it gets interesting, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Leave it right there. I'm going to read that again. For the time is coming when people will not even endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There are so many famous pastors on TV right now and people sitting at home on Sunday morning listening to their favorite pastors because it pumps them up and makes them feel really good. You know what they're not doing? They didn't get up, do the hard thing, come to church to listen to me tell them that they need to be rebuked. They're itching ears. They're chasing what they want to chase. They're not chasing Jesus. Listen, guys, our church believes this. You know how we get Jesus? We die. We die to ourselves. That's how you get Jesus. And listen, I'm dying right alongside of you. I don't just listen to the pastors that make me feel really good, that tell me I'm going to get wealthy and tell me that I'm going to get healed. Listen, I didn't say any of that was bad. That's not what we're chasing. We're chasing Jesus. If he decides to make me rich, praise God. If he decides to heal me, I praise God. All glory to him. But it's him that we're after. Next verse. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wander off into myths. You know, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to. There's myths from pastors. There's myths of different doctrines. There's political myths. There's two things. Attacking the church right now, that is attacking evangelicalism in our country right now. Two things. Number one is liberalism. When I say that term, that doesn't mean that everything on the left is evil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying people are going away from the orthodox view of Scripture, from what we're talking about, making an authority, and they're reading things in there to fit with the liberal agenda today. And the second thing is political idolatry. Political idolatry stop worshiping politics i don't care what side of the aisle you are on stop it's changing you you are being formed by what you read you are being formed by fox news and cnn and all of your favorite people we are not there is not a politician that's going to save this world the only politician saving this world is jesus christ Guys, as a pastor, I could stand up here every week and talk about things that everyone loves. I, you know how I grow the church really fast? I could grow the church really, really fast. You guys could show up and we could just talk about healing and just talk about how God's going to bless you and you're going to make a bunch of money and our church would explode. You know, that's hard. As a person that's been a business leader for a long time, it's, it, I, have to, I have to fight doing things that will just attract a bunch of people, right? This, what I'm saying, doesn't unfortunately attract a lot of people. But I would rather the hundred of you sitting here be on fire for Jesus Amen. than flood the gates with people who are nominal Christians okay. that are using Jesus to get the things of the world. Amen. That's not what we're after. Guys, hell is real. Hell is real. Now, if you don't believe God's a loving God, listen, I, judgment in the wrath of God is love. God being loved cannot just let people do whatever they want and hurt people. I want you to imagine for a second, I love this analogy. Imagine you're a mother in Africa whose children are brutally raped and murdered. When you get to eternity in front of Jesus one day, do you want him to judge that person that did that? The answer is yes, because that's what love does. Listen, I have to ask you the question, are you choosing Jesus? Do you feel his call? Or are you making other things the priority and supreme in your life? Don't ever just hinge on the fact, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I'm good, go about my life. The word of God says to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. That's not to put fear in you, that's because "I, I never want to just say I'm good and I'm saved. I want to get before Jesus every day. You guys can stand up together, band, you can come. Guys, there's always been a fight, it's been since the beginning of time. You know, when Adam and Eve fell and they ate the forbidden fruit, if you know the story, when Adam and Eve fell, what they really were after was this, was autonomy. They were after being a law unto themselves. They were after them deciding what was good and what was evil. The world is in the same fight today. You are in the same fight today. I am in the same fight today. It's been the same thing since the very beginning. We have to decide that Scripture Will be our authority. We're not the law. We don't determine the law. We don't determine what's good. We don't determine what's evil. The word of God does. You guys bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the reformers that came before us. John Huss that was burned at a stake alive. God, as he sang a hymn, give me that kind of faith. Give all of us that kind of faith because that kind of faith is what changes the city, Father. God, we're moving from this building, but God, it's not about buildings. It's about nothing else than getting people this word, the getting Jesus to people. We don't care what culture says. We don't care what they say is right or true or just. We know it's right in front of us in this word of God. God, would you empower your people? Father, if there's anyone in this room that hasn't accepted you, I pray that they get with you today. That they get with you today and they say, God, I, I want to be saved, and I know it's through your son. God, I want to believe. I know you have more for me than what this world has to offer. God, we thank you for today. And all God's people said,